The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. It's Friday. It must be time for the National Football Show. With your boy Dan Cilio, how is everyone doing out there on this Friday? You know, I was just talking to my boy Krause. He's like, news out there today. There's always news when it comes to football. There's always news because football rules America today. Look, I'll tell you this about the NBA playoffs, okay? You know, you, the NBA is so reliant on their stars. It's sick. Without LeBron James... Are you really watching Utah? Do you really care what the Denver Nuggets do? Do you really care what the Clippers are doing? I kind of care what the Sixers are doing. I'll tell you why. Doc's my boy. Love him. I like Joel Embiid. I think he's a better version of Patrick Ewing. But outside of that, that net story, (laughs) hey, man, you know, that's like a psychiatric ward, that Brooklyn Nets team. Here's Kyrie. Well, I, I, I think the world is flat. I'm really not sure. Oh, yeah, that's right. I went to Duke. Did you? The world is flat. No, I swear. I'm, what, I, I'm part of the fraternity that says the world is flat. No, Kyrie, that's your head. Okay? No, no. Then you got Katie with his 78 burner accounts. What'd you say about me? You think he was like Joe Pesci. Are you talking to me? Right? And then you got James Harden who went during the summertime. Well, I'm just going to eat as many corny dogs as I possibly can to get as fat as I possibly can so that I could get out of Houston and go play with my friends in Brooklyn, the team that nobody cares about in New York. Oh, yeah, that's right. I said it. There's only one team in New York no one cares about, and that's it, the Nets. (laughs) Okay, they care more about the New York Islanders than they do about the Brooklyn Nets. Oh, that's the other team? Wait, there's another team in New York that plays hoop? Yeah, outside of the New York Knicks, okay, who had, like, everyone just rocking at MSG. You know, the Brooklyn Nets at the Barclay. Great. Sounds like a band. Nobody cares about the NBA. Oh, here's the other one. Major League Baseball. What's the storyline In Major League Baseball, the Padres, great. I'm sure that moves the needle. Like the Padres are the worst baseball team since 1969. You know why I picked that year? Because that's the year they came into baseball. And now the Padres. The Padres and the Dodgers. The Dodgers probably look at that and go, "Um, yeah, we've got 75 World Series titles and they have like uh, goose eggs. There's nothing going on in those realms as well. I I would say USC is the most interesting thing out there. Oh, next to football. Next to football. We got another power pack show for you today. 
Bottom of the hour, my friend Mike Lombardi from The Athletic. Dude will tell you exactly what's going on. He's one of the most plugged-in guys there is. He's a former general manager. He worked in the scouting department for the New England Patriots. He is clearly one of the most plugged-in guys. And our friend, former GM, I think, at the Cleveland Browns as well, Mike Lombardi, will join us bottom of the hour. Then at 5 p.m., we decided, because we're talking a lot of college football here, why not get the head of the college football playoff committee? The executive director of the college football playoff committee, we're going to get our friend Bill Hancock on. Bill, how does this help everybody? There's going to actually be some teams that are going to play 17 games if they run the table and win a national title. Then we're going to catch up and we're going to revisit our friend Howard Balzer, another one of our Hall of Fame voters. And Howard, without a doubt, also one of the most plugged in guys. He works for Sports Illustrated. That will be in our number two. Just mentioned it. If you go on and play for a national championship in college football this year, most likely you'll play 17 games. What does that mean? Okay. Man, I will do everything in my power. You know, all the connections I have, all the platforms that I'm on, to be the Pied Piper, how could you ask 17 kids? Or how could you ask kids to play 17 ball games and not pay them? You're making money for the athletic directors. You're making money for the head coaches. You're making money for your conferences. The networks are making gigantic money. How in the world can you justify putting a 19-year-old kid on the field to play 17 games and not compensate him. I mean, we have slave labor laws in this country. Why do you think Nike and some of these other companies go overseas? Because they can pay minimum wage. They can pay 35 cents to build a pair of LeBron Nikes and then turn around and sell them in the inner cities for 350 bucks. How do you think and why do you think that you have all those shoe companies putting out all that propaganda last year against the former president? Yeah, because of the trade issues that was going on with many of those countries. Do you know that Nike, 90% of their wear, 90% of their athletic wear and their shoes are made overseas? It's made in Asia, which means this, they're not American jobs. So you're going to turn around and you're going to pay these coaches. You know, these shoe companies, this is where the max money comes from. Because what, you think that the institutions come up with that money? Nick Saban's base salary is probably something like $250,000, $300,000. It's the shoe companies and the television deals that add on to it to make that $11 bucks. You know Nick Saban's the highest paid government employee in the state of Alabama? Then again... Most of the coaches in the United States are the highest paid public servants. Did you know that? John Calipari at Kentucky, all state schools, though, too, by the way. You think John Calipari, you know he makes more money than what the governor makes. These are all state-run institutions. That comes out of the government's budget. And so where do you think they're getting that $11 million from? University of Alabama ain't paying it. Alabama's going to the shoe companies. 
shoe companies start having to hike their prices up, you're not going to be able to go around and pay these coaches and have the brand on the field. You're just not. The shoe companies and the television networks today run college sports. It's going to be a $50 billion a year business. How can you justify not giving kids a salary? 17 games. So you're going to have a 12-team playoff now. You're already playing 15 ball games. You're going to play an extra two games if you win the title. 17 ball games, counting your conference championship game. Why are you even playing the conference championship game now? Hey, by the way, for the record, the Southeastern Conference um, championship game that they play in Atlanta every year, that's actually a harder game than the national championship game every year. I would much rather watch Alabama, Florida, or Georgia than I would Clemson or Alabama or Ohio State, Alabama in the title game. It's more competitive, the SEC championship game. I've said that before. What's tougher to win? I don't know. Winning your West bracket, then turning around and winning the SEC title in Atlanta, and then you got to go win a national championship with a non-conference opponent? That's a pretty tough run right there, man. Winning the West in the SEC and then winning the SEC itself and then winning a national title. That's why you play Citadel, friends. Paying the student athlete. What's the hang-up now? Let me guess. Morality. Holy cow. Morality? Let me, let me ask you what morality is when you're talking about paying kids. How do you justify giving – and by the way, I'm not on Nick Saban's ass here with this. I'm just using Nick because he makes the most. That's it. I'm, I'm, I, I'm happy for Nick making that money. I'm talking about the system, okay? I'm not hating the player. I'm hating the system, okay? Nick's fine with me. Him making that money, I think he deserves it. What he's accomplished at Alabama, you may never see again. But when I look at that dude, how do you justify doing this, giving that guy a million-dollar check every month, $200,000 a week he makes coaching kids who don't make a cent? Yeah, but damn, they get the education. Really? Hey, Hoss, remember something. You knock on my door. And beg me to come play at your school so I can make money for the coach and the AD and the conference? You beg me to play for you. I don't remember knocking on coaches' doors. I wasn't knocking on coaches' doors. Who were those guys that were sleeping in my driveway wanting me to go to Syracuse or go to Pitt? I, or going and stalking me when I was in my high school? Is that Joe Paterno walking my way? Holy cow. Oh, Wow. Is that John Cooper from Ohio State? I'd love you to come play here. I bet you do. <laughs> I bet you do. You've got to, man. Just put this stuff away with this notion that college athletes should not be paid. And, and, and people are going to go, well, how much are you talking, Sills? Well, let's put it out there. If you want to be in the moral room with this stuff, and you, you want to pretend that you have some morality to yourself, tie it into education. Kid graduates at the end of his four years. Because let's face it, not every kid on that 85 scholarship football team, wherever it is in the country, he's not going to play at the next level. 
Less than 1% go from each year, go and get an opportunity to play in the National Football League. Okay? So 99.9% of the kids that are on those rosters, unless you're at a place like Bama. But all the kids for one particular year, 1%, man. 99.9% of the kids that play college football this coming 2021 year, they're not going to the pros. So then do this. Those kids are making money for your school. They're employees. Set up a bond for them like you do with a, the military, like a GI Bill, where if you graduate at the end, guess what you get as an extra prize out the door for being a contributor to helping build our football or our sports program? You get a stipend where you, you, you put and have money put in where you get a $5,000 bill and you could start your life with it. Same way they do in the military. What's wrong with that? You know, you're part of the building blocks every year or every four years that you're at a school for a coach that's responsible for that program generating revenue, creating money for the off programs that are at that school. You are an employee. You think you're generating money in women's tennis? You think you're, you know, I used to always hear this in college. Well, you guys get the best of everything. I go, well, I don't see anybody showing up to anybody burning a Bunsen burner. They're at a science fair at the University of Miami. I, I must have missed that one. I missed that crowd. Guy's like, well, what are you saying? Our department is not important. I'm saying in the grand scheme of things, no. <laughs> what I do for you, kid, you, every time you see me walk by you, you should say thank you. Okay? We're the ones putting up the new dorms. We're the ones that are generating that kind of money for you. You think that logo that you, what, you think you made it? Because you're at some science fair? Give me a break, guy. You think that Kentucky logo is because of what? Some debate class? And you get all, and you, have, oh, you know what you always get? You always get the snowflake students going, you know, the arrogant athletes. And yeah, hey, remember, kid, you knocked on my door and begged me to come play for you. I wasn't begging you. Does it come off as arrogant? Yeah, it does. That, that storyline bugs me. Not this notion that the kids are not employees and that they're not significant. Why do you think the NCAA rules are so skewed against the kid and it's more in favor of the programs and how the programs go through their business life every year? Coach ends up wanting to leave and go somewhere else. Does he ever have to sit out? No. Now they've changed the transfer rules and that should have been changed years ago. When I transferred from Maryland, I had to sit out a year before I played at UM. I, before I went to Miami, I had to sit out. Now, they're at least allowing kids to do that. And get this, this is the first year now that the Big Ten's allowing you to be able to transfer interconference. You used to have to sit out two years if you were inside the conference because they didn't want any of that stuff going on like free agency. Now, you know what else you have? Now you have the transfer portal, which is like free agency. Kid doesn't like what's going on there at a school, and you lied to him which 90% of the coaches do. You know 90% of the coaches lie to you. Hey, you're going to get a chance to play here. I swear, this is going to be the best experience of your life. Oh, my God, I can't believe how unbelievable it's going to be. Then you get there, and the guy doesn't even know your name. I thought you said I was going to get to play. Yeah, okay, kid, go sit down. What? That's how it works in college sports. These coaches recruit you because you know why? Once they find out, say like a guy like me, I'm just using me as an example. They find out, say that I'm being recruited by their rival. 
okay? And Florida State or Florida is like uh, sniffing around me. And what they'll do is they'll recruit you just to keep them away from you, away from them. And they'll most likely end up playing kids that are in the community there because they want to go into another high school in that same community later on and grab a kid. They'll just give you a scholarship. It's in their best interest to give you a scholarship than to have me go to Penn State or to have me go to Ohio State. There's a, that's some of the thinking. Well, that's gone away because of this transfer portal. And now you're going to add a 12-team playoff. Look. So these are just two extra teams for Alabama to beat the piss out of. Uh, you, what, what? Alabama, do you know what Alabama's doing right now in the playoffs? Do you know that in their semifinal game, they're averaging 20-point wins? And every year, Alabama sees Notre Dame. They just must laugh. Because <laughs> I do. Alabama will play Notre Dame in the semifinals. I'm like, well, that's a 50-point win. <laughs> they have no chance in hell. And with a new playoff, I can't wait to talk to Bill because I want to see what a 12-team playoff is going to mean compared to a 14-team playoff. Are you expanding it anymore? Absolutely not. It's a cash register. It's a cash grab. It's another way of college football adding a game like the NFL did so that the NFL can make more money. You know, I tell people this all the time. You know, you know everyone's always asking me, why does, uh, why does the NFL play in London every year? You know that London game? Why do you think they play in London? And don't give me because they want to relocate the Jags. Don't, you, you don't really believe that, do you? They play that game because that starts the NFL's clock on Sunday morning three hours sooner. So the cash register for commercial spots for networks starts three hours sooner. So on the West Coast, six o'clock kicks, you start your cash register. The NFL owns Sundays. Churches used to own it. Now the NFL owns it. The NFL owns Sundays. That's why there's more of these London games. You want to know the most useless thing that's part, and I'm, I'm making a point to you on how these networks, how these leagues, how college football is trying to snow job the fan base. What do you think is the most useless part of an NFL game? It's the extra point. Why isn't the touchdown worth seven? Think of this for a second. What happens after every commercial, or I just gave it away. What happens after every extra point? There's a commercial stop set. You go to commercial. Ding, 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 ding. The NFL wants high scoring. Why is that? More extra points, more commercial stop sets. If you've got a 35 to 30, wait, you think they want that because of fantasy football? That's part of it. But you got a 35-30 game? Look how many commercials you got going on in that thing with all the touchdowns that are being scored. You go to commercials, they're making $3.5 million a commercial for a 30. Okay? That's why they want those extra points in there. Extra points. Did you ever wonder why? Those are the stupidest things on the planet, extra points. But the NFL makes a killing doing that. There, there was even like guys talking about, oh, maybe we should get rid of the extra point. It's the most useless play in sport. Are you kidding me, man? Every NFL owner went, uh, can, uh, come here. We got to have a conversation about how this league makes money. 
that's the biggest moneymaker we have in a game is the extra point. So circle back to college here. Wait, you don't think you're not going to see the same cast of characters that are going to be in the Final Four? Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and some outlier team. And they'll do whatever it can when it comes to politics to try to get a West Coast team in or Notre Dame in there because they've got to get eyeballs on the Final Four. This is all about, this is all about snow jobbing the fan base. You really think you're opening up for a team like Cincinnati. How about this? Maybe it does. Let's just say this. So then Cincinnati gets plowed by Alabama by 50. How's that entertaining? How is that really entertaining? Well, Alabama will play Cincinnati, you know, after their bye, getting into the uh, playoffs, and they beat the piss out of them 45-7. Oh, that sounds entertaining. Or here's the other rule, because I'll ask Bill Hancock, executive director of this, what if the SEC has the four best teams? Um, how can they get it? Will they be allowed? Because no one's answered this. So if we have a 12-team playoff and the SEC has four teams, what if four teams make it into the Final Four that are from one conference? That's a mistake, isn't it? By today's standards, it is, because you can only send two. So does this open it up for the ability to have four from your conference? Because that's what I'm feeling. Hey, man, this gives the SEC, the Premier League of college football, the ability to do this. All right. We'll talk more about that. That'll be at the top of the hour with our friend Bill Hancock, the executive director of the college football playoff. There is a lot of storylines going around right now. And this mess in... Green Bay, it's seemingly now even picking up even more. Rodgers has made it very clear that he has every intention of using these next five weeks to resolve their issues in that front office or he wants out. Now, what does out mean? Does that mean Denver? Does that mean a place like Miami? Could that mean potentially a place like New Orleans? I mean, he's on a team right now that's in a position to win a Super Bowl. They're probably the second or third best team in the NFL, okay? I mean, is the grass really greener on the other side? We'll talk to Mike Lombardi from The Athletic. We'll do it next. You keep it here on the National Football Show. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, 
go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Welcome back to the National Football Show on this Friday. So Dak Prescott has now signed a $200 million contract with the Jordan brand. Wow, it must be nice to be the starting quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. It must be nice. You know, we talked to Stephen Jones a couple days ago, and he was like, he's the perfect face for the Dallas Cowboys right now. He really is. Dak does everything right. Says the right things. Leads by example. I'll tell you something. I said this to you guys a couple weeks ago. I've become more of a fan of Dak Prescott in his rehabilitation and in this whole contract negotiation than I was prior to that. I think he's handled himself like a complete professional. And you know what I would do? If I had a young quarterback that was coming into the NFL – I would get a blueprint made up of how you're to act, and I would put Dak Prescott's face on the front cover. And I would say, if you want to get all the things you want in your life and you want to maximize every single thing that is coming to you because you've got one of the 32 jobs in the world that people covet, and that's being a starting quarterback in the NFL, that's your example. Dak Prescott is the prime example. By the way, let's put it out there. You think Dak's a top 10 quarterback? You could debate 10. But for me and my 10, I think, you know, I would like to see a little more winning before I put him in that conversation. Because if you look at Matthew Stafford, Matthew Stafford has put up gigantic numbers. And he was in Detroit 
and he's been hidden up in Detroit because nobody got a chance to see him outside of Thanksgiving. Right? You never saw Matthew Stafford play a football game outside of Thanksgiving, right? Detroit's always on the Thanksgiving Day telecast. You didn't see him prior to that. But if you looked at his numbers, you're like, holy cow, this guy's put up big numbers, man. And now he's going to – you want to hear the difference between Matthew Stafford, Detroit, and Matthew Stafford, Los Angeles Ram? Matthew Stafford's going to have 10 primetime games on national television versus him playing on one game that mattered. That was the Thanksgiving Day game because the other games he played in traditionally never mattered because he played in Detroit. He's put up the same kind of numbers, man. But Jack has been sensational as a leader. You know, you know, he's the highest paid NFL player. Brady's second. He made like $100 million. Do you know what he's going to make this year? Check it out. He's going to get his $42 million. Plus, he's going to get a signing bonus that's going to equal that. Now he's going to make another. F- Dak Prescott is in line to make $120 million this year as a starting quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys because of the brand that he is now signed with, with the Jordan brand. It's the richest contract for the Jordan brand for any professional football player that's ever signed up and lined up ever to be involved in that brand. You got the face of the Dallas Cowboys. You think if he's the face of the Tennessee Titans, that contract is put in front of him? Absolutely not. And I'll tell you something else. That really goes a long way. How he handles himself off the field. When you give a contract like that $180 million contract you gave to Sean Watson, and by the way, I'm not not judging anything right now until I get more of the facts on that. But what I'm just telling you right now is, look look at how Dak handles himself. You know, even through all the public ping-ponging that went back and forth between the Cowboys and Todd France's agent, Dak never lost his poise. By the way, do you ever remember him holding out? Like, you see what Aaron Rodgers is doing because he's trying to make a point in a training camp? Have you ever seen that? No, you haven't seen that. So I give him so much respect in how he's handled himself. And all of my young quarter, because you know what you do? When you get into the league, what you're trying to find is you're trying to find a routine. And you're trying to gravitate to somebody that you want to emulate because you want to know how they got to where they got. I know that sounds crazy. Thank you for the English lesson. (laughs) But you want to follow them. How did you become a professional? Because, look, becoming a professional football player and becoming a professional, they're two different things. But somehow, as a player, you've got to collide them. You see, when you're in college – You don't have to worry about that stuff on being a professional because the organization or the program, pretty much, they protect you. But when you become a professional, you're out there by yourself and you're out there with your organization and you're out there as a professional pretty much by yourself, okay? And so when you're out there like that, you've got to understand something. You've got to be a pro. That's one thing that I told you that I struggled with before. Was that notion? They got to be a professional at all times, and especially when you're the face of the Cowboys. 
And let's bring in our friend here from The Athletic, our friend Mike Lombardi, and let's get his thoughts on this with Dak Prescott. How you doing, Mike? Appreciate you doing this, brother. No problem, Dan. How are you? Huh? Hey, hey, Mike, I said this just a couple minutes ago. I go, you know, I've got more respect for Dak Prescott now than I did prior to his rehabilitation. I'll tell you why. He just signs a $200 million deal with the Jordan brand. He just signs that gigantic contract. Todd France going back and forth. If I am an organization, Mike, that is the center face that I want to have as a blueprint to give to my guy on how you act as a pro on and off the field. I've been very impressed with him. So says you. Oh, I think, you know, Dak has really been very impressive. I mean, he's never held a grudge about being a fourth-round pick. He's played by the rules. They tagged him twice. He's made out like a bandit. You know, he's always said the right thing, done the right thing. He's, uh, you know, he's been a model player for them. And and as they continue to improve around them, and I think mostly it's going to be Dan, their defense. Can they play defense well enough? Can Dan Quinn, you know, who – the scheme that Dan runs, uh, the Pete Carroll defensive scheme that he runs, is it going to be good enough to be able to handle uh, what the, the the future of football holds? So far, Pete Carroll doesn't even want to run his scheme anymore. I mean, Gus Bradley, Dan Quinn, all those guys that run that scheme, Robert Salai, it requires you have a really good defensive front. If you don't have that, you're in trouble. How about this too, Mike? Like you said, I think I remember only one time they were like in the top 10, like eighth or something like that. The rest of the time they've been down like in the 20s. I mean, I saw that defense a year ago. I, I mean, the Cleveland Browns ran for 300 yards against them. And I'm thinking of this. Okay, so you signed back to that contract. Are the Cowboys better? I don't know if they're better. Well, I think this here, here's what I think we will we have to understand. And and this is where I think we get caught up in the quarterbacks. You know, the reality of the situation is is Dan Marino might be one of the greatest quarterbacks who ever played in football. He was coached by the winningest coach in all of football, Don Shula. From the time he was 24 till the time he turned 29, he didn't make the playoffs. And so you say, how could that happen? Well, football is a sport that, yes, the quarterback matters. And, yes, he should get paid the most money. But unless you've got a good team around the quarterback, as good as Dan Marino is and as good as Shula was, you could have some really cold years. Absolutely. I mean, it's about balancing the salary cap here. And if you don't have great special teams, you're not going to win. Let me take you up to Green Bay. Mike, I, I, I can't figure this thing out to save my life. You have two quarterbacks for the last 31 years and Brett Favre and, and Aaron Rodgers. And you've got three Super Bowl appearances, two Super Bowls. Your communication between the organization and those two players was sketchy at the end and how they handled those relationships. Look, I know Green Bay does things, and they've done things forever, all the way back to my uncle's era, back when Robustelli played against them. I get all that stuff. But, Mike, it's got to get to a point here where they get into the now and get out of the MySpace era, and they've got to allow their quarterback to at least – I'm not saying Mike be involved in, in decisions when it comes to personnel – but just like with, when Alex Smith was informed by Andy Reid, hey, we're going to take a quarterback in the draft. Or telling Tom Brady, hey, Tom, we're going to draft Kyle Trask, just telling you the direction that we're going to go with the second pick. That's not getting them to clear him, Mike. That's just letting them in on what they're going to be doing personnel. Do you think the Packers need to start going down that route? Well, I think the biggest problem in Green Bay, Dan, is they don't have an owner, right? And so and you played for the league and you played for owners, and so – when you buy an NFL franchise, let's just take Robert Kraft. He spent 
whatever, say he spent $180 million to purchase the New England Patriots. That franchise is now worth $6 billion, $5 billion. Well, when he sees Tom Brady, he doesn't just see a player. He sees somebody who's made him incredibly wealthy. And he goes over and thanks him and develops a personal relationship with him. Green Bay doesn't have that. Green Bay just doesn't have an owner who's thankful for the players who's made them incredibly wealthy. Look at the amount of owners that are building yachts. I mean, not just little boats. I'm not talking about the U.S. I'm not talking about the SS Minnow here. I'm talking about yachts, right? And so, you know, they've made a lot of money. And they they they, th- they thank the players. They reward. They have relationships with the players. Sometimes they have too deep of a relationship with the players. It gets in the way. But I think in Green Bay there was no no owner talking to talking to him and having discussions with him and basically you know being his buddy and that's what we see in other organizations. I mean Brady and Kraft and you know all these other ones that have been around. You see it shoot Marino and the Robbie family when he was there, and then it became Wayne Heisinger. Then it became you know that that's not there. And the wealth that's generated by Rogers by Favre should be paid with with some respect. You, Mike, they, there's no way they move him in the next five weeks, right? There's no way. I, I mean, I, I can't imagine that. I mean, if it's not solved by now, when's it going to get solved? But here's the reality that, you know, the collective bargain agreement has really set up for the players to not hold out, Dan. This was agreed upon by the players. This yeah. wasn't some rule. So it was unified that they don't want players to hold out. So the, the, the teams have all the leverage here. I know the fans don't want to hear this, but the teams have all the leverage. I mean, if Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to play football for the Packers, he has to retire. And when he retires, he then owes the Packers the remaining portions of the signing bonus that he was given. It's a lot of money. If he decides he doesn't want to retire but keep playing and hold out like Deshaun Watson's doing, then he not only has to pay back signing bonus money, he has to, he's getting fined on a daily basis. So the the rules don't favor this. Now, you miss a minicamp, no big deal. You start missing game checks, no yeah. big deal. And, and now, Mike, from what I'm understanding from the time when I played, you can forgive those fines when you were in training camp. From now with the new CBA, from what I understand – they're not forgivable now, and you're going to be fined um, every single day that you miss. Like you said, he's already burned through $600,000 in the offseason here, and he's burning through like $90,000 not going to this mandatory minicamp. But you're starting to talk about now getting into your yearly salary of near $30 million. So you're saying this has got to be resolved here in the next couple of weeks. We'll know whether or not he's going to be a Packer. Well, but but not only does he get fined, Dan, he's, he has to start paying back the proration yeah, of bonus. the bonus. Yeah. So those are checks that you have to go into your account. It's one thing to get fined, you know, and you lose money or you lose a game check. But now you're writing checks back for what? What is what is the reason you're holding out? What is your statement you're trying to make? You want Gutekas fired? I mean, really, what do you want? And I think that has yet to be resolved. What do you what do you make of the move that Wentz going to Indianapolis? We had Frank Reich on with us a couple days ago, and Frank obviously loves the guy. He knows the player. He knows the player as a personal person too. I mean, um, they got a great looking football team. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Mike, their offense was in the top ten and their defense was in the top ten. That's a pretty good combination in Indianapolis for him to go to. 
Yeah, let's go back to 2017 with Carson Wentz. When Carson Wentz was really good, Wright was the coordinator, as we know. Now, what was remarkable about that season was how good the Eagles were on third down. That team that beat the Patriots was one of the worst teams in the National Football League in being in third and long. There were six teams worse than they were. They were in third or seven more than any team, six teams, uh, basically most of the National Football League. And yet they were able to convert. And they ran the ball quite a bit. They were had two running backs that averaged over five yards a carry. They were an offense that wasn't always in shotgun. They were an offense that was able to be under center, run some play action. When Wentz gets hurt and they have to go to Nick Foles, they became an RPO offense exclusively, which really doesn't fit Wentz very well. And I think that the return to that with Frank Wright, the return to having a powerful running game, the balance that's needed, I think Wright will do a hell of a job with them. And I expect Carson Wentz, who I thought was the MVP of the league in 2017, I expect Carson Wentz to have a great 2021. The guy who filled his shoes in, in Philadelphia, what's your take on Jalen Hurts? Well, I think there's still a lot to prove. Uh, I think that once he gets, you know, what, when he gets to what is the offense, let's not forget, he got benched in the Sugar Bowl because he couldn't throw the ball. Okay. And, and Tua came in. So as he continues to develop as a passer, I think his career develops. And I think that that's a lot to be determined how he handles the rush, how he handles the hits. I think there's a lot to be left there. I, I would not say I'm all in on Hertz. I would say, let me see. Give me, I think, Dan, you can't evaluate quarterbacks' longevity until at least they've played 16 games. Absolutely. A couple more questions here for you, Mike. Mike, you know, how do you look at these mini camps? I tell people all the time, it's helmets and shorts. You're going to hear good coaching talk coming out of the majority of these mini camps. You're going to hear people saying good things. I'm hearing a lot of good stuff coming out of Chicago right now about Justin Fields and how the players are really gravitating to him. That's not a shocker. I heard the same stuff about the kid in Columbus and how the teammates all loved him. You think he's the opening day starter in Chicago? I don't know why he wouldn't be. I mean, where are we going with Andy Dalton, Dan? Where are we Nowhere. going? Nowhere. We're not going anywhere. I mean, we're not a good team to begin with. You know, we need some help. And let's start well, Let's start the Justin Fields program as soon as we can. He's the future of the franchise. Look, I think many camps are all – you've been on too many teams in your career where guys have won all Alameda or all, all mini camp. <laughs> and, they never, and they never turn out to be good players, you know? And so I think that, you know, it's it really behooves us to dismiss what we hear now and wait till we start playing the real game of football. You know, when I look at New England and I see what they do up there and their culture up there, you know, they end up taking Mac Jones out of Alabama. People are like this. Well, he played with so many great players. Yeah, but again, he played with so many great players. You're going to do that in the NFL, too. You're going to play with so many great players. You're going to be around great coaches. I, I, I think people are – I think they're missing on this kid here, man. I think this kid's got a great opportunity to be a star in New England. You know, Dan, you don't even – you didn't even ask this – ask Smith or Waddle who was better, Tua or or uh, Mac Jones. They volunteered it. They volunteered it. They just came out right out and told you. You didn't have to ask him. You didn't have to probe. You didn't have to kind of get in the cone of silence and ask him a, a confidential question. They just, they just gave you the answer. So, you know, for me, I think he's a really talented player – that, you know, he doesn't have the body of a, of a superstar. He doesn't have the body of a, of a supreme athlete, but yet he's quick-minded. He's got enough arm strength. 
He's very accurate with the football and he's intelligent and he's a gym rat. All those qualities are what coach Belichick wants in a quarterback. Finally here, Mike Julio Jones and the impact that he has on that Titans team. You know, I, I, I told some people the last couple of days, you better have a, a mouthpiece in and a double chin strap because someone's going to get knocked on their ass. You got two wide receivers that block in the run game and you get that movable refrigerator and you've got that hell of an offensive line in front of you. Tennessee, have they moved them in themselves in that conversation where they're one of the better rosters in the AFC? Well, I think this, you know, I mean, they were so bad, Dan, on defense last year. I had 19 sacks oh. on the year. They couldn't rush the passer. They couldn't cover anybody offensively. Here's what's fascinating about them offensively. If you go back over the career in the NFL, 31 times running backs have carried the football over 400 times. 29, wow. the next year, 29 of those players had bad years. Only two times did they come back. And Henry did it last year. He, came, he, he became the third back to duplicate an incredible toting the ball. Can he do it for three years in a row? That's really hard for me to say. I think their offensive line, Kendall Lamb, their right tackle, needs to prove that he can play. Ben Jones, their right guard, has to play better. They, they've got a lot of question marks in their offensive line. But Tannehill's a good play-action passer. Henry's impossible to tackle. A.J. Brown, to me, is not a receiver that scares you with his routes. He scares you when the ball is in his hand because instead of asking the question, how do we cover him, you ask the question, how do we tackle him? And that's a hard <laughs> question to answer on him. Absolutely. Mike, I appreciate you spending time with me, brother. Thank you so much for coming aboard. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate you. Got you. It. Thanks. Best you of got luck. It, you bet, man. That's Mike Lombardi from The Athletic. Yeah, it, that, that's right, man. That's going to be some wide receiving core to get on the ground there, man. No, no question about it. By the way, a coach who's really happy with his new quarterback, is he throwing shade on another one? We'll hit on that, and I'll tell you who that is. You keep it here on the National Football Show. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. 
IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Welcome back to the National Football Show with your boy Dan Cilio. Top of the hour. Executive Director of the College Football Playoff, Bill Hancock, will join us. Frontline story going around these last couple days here that they're going to expand to a 12-team playoff. We'll get Bill, his thoughts on that. And are they going to expand the committee? Are there going to be different parameters on how they're going to pick these college football teams? I mean, if you're going to have more teams, surely you're going to have more vehicles on how you're going to select these teams. Okay, strength of schedule, is that going to play more of a factor? You know, it's got to. If I line up 12 tomato cans and go undefeated, and you have a Southeastern Conference team or a Big Ten team, that's 9-3. and three. Who's to say that that undefeated team is a better team? What, your eyeball is going to be the one that's going to be the determining factor? Or is there going to be another metric that you're going to be able to use to determine that team's better than that team? You see... I've always believed this. The notion, because you're undefeated, means you should play in the Final Four, is stupid. That doesn't mean, thank God we don't do that in the NFL and put the four best teams with the four best records in the Final Four. What do we do? We play a tournament, okay? Sometimes a 10-6 and six team turns out to be better than a 12-4 and four team. We see that play out all the time in the playoffs, don't we? Well, don't you want that dynamic? The undefeated Patriot team, they got beat by the New York Giant 10-16. And, and that team actually got beat at the end of the year, that Giants team, by the Patriots, and they came back and the Patriots lost to that team. Don't you want that type of fight? Don't you want a trilogy to where even if you've played that team, you get another crack at them? How many times have you seen a team play a team three times in a year, counting the playoffs, and that team catches them in the postseason? Did we not see that with the Buccaneers last year? Look how many times the Saints beat the piss out of the Bucs last year. They got them in the playoffs. The Bucs beat them. Don't you want that dynamic? One team's playing better than the other at one particular time doesn't mean that you should go in because you have the best regular season. Now, some would say this. Well, Sills, why do you play regular season games? I get it. But you want the best football teams 
at the end of the year playing. That doesn't have really anything to do with your record. Now, look, I'm not going to put a 6-5 and five team into the college playoffs. You know, that, that's not going to happen. You have a horrible loss. That should count against you. You get beat by a non-top 25 team. It, it, it absolutely, some of that stuff should count against you, okay? Can't have horrible losses if you're going to consider yourself a national champion. Okay, so, you know, here, let me put it to you this way. I got two of those national championship rings over there. And back in the day, at least you had this. When the sports writers were doing the AP and UPI, and they were picking a national champion, you know what they at least did? Every single sports writer went to the games that were in those areas, whether you're, if you're in the Midwest or you're in the West or you're in the Southeast or you're in the Northeast. All these guys went. And they believed that their team, uh, covering Notre Dame or covering Ohio State or covering the Canes, okay, they believed that those teams and what they did was they put a poll together. And I know, look, people would go like this, but at least you had a chance of winning a national champion because every sports writer protected those regions because they actually went and saw games. How many of these committee members really go to all these games? You know what they do? They see game film. You're not around the teams. You're not talking to the coaches. Maybe there's something inside the team, a stretch where a couple players are banged up. And get this, maybe Alabama or maybe USC doesn't play their best because they're losing two offensive tackles. Then they get them back later in the year, and you're like, wow, that team's really good now. And you have no idea why that they were going through maybe a game where they won a game 28-20. And you kind of dismiss them, and you drop them in the polls because of the outcome of the of the score. You know that PFF, that Pro Football Focus, it's the most ridiculous website that's out there today. It's a clickbait website. They don't sit around when guys are formulating game plans. They're not putting all that stuff together. They're coming up with all those numbers at their place and telling you, well, these are the top 10 quarterbacks on what we saw on film. You don't know exactly what was asked to that football team as they were preparing Say New England's preparing against Kansas City. You don't know what that game plan was about. You don't know what they were attacking. Maybe a guy wasn't going to get a lot of touches in that game. Does that drop his grade because he was not effectively used in that game? Maybe Belichick didn't feel that that was going to be the attacking angle. How do you know what these game plans are? So all these clickbait websites like that thing, that pro football focus is the biggest joke out there. Chris Chris Collinsworth owns it. And NBC Sports promotes it. Okay, great. I'm sure that's real objective. I'm sure every single one of the teams that are going to be on Sunday Night Football will get a pretty good grade because, you know, and I know that stuff waffles back and forth and it wobbles the schedule. You know, they can put in teams that they want to put in, but come on, man. You know, take a look at Pro Football Focus's top 10 quarterbacks today and they'll completely change by the end of the year. Oh, well, you know, we thought that they thought the Dallas Cowboys had the best, one of the best rosters last year. Go back and look in the NFL. And I went like this. You think they could really get anybody on the ground? I debate that. And they couldn't. And just like Mike Lombardi said from the Athletic a couple minutes ago, hey, my question is going to be on Dallas. Can they get people on the ground? Can they get them on the ground? All right. So. 
I always listen to coaches who get a new toy when it goes into their building and how they talk and treat the other guy who was in the building previous. Let me give you an example. So Bill Belichick, what does he, what does he do with Tom Brady as soon as he walks out the door? Thanks, Tom. It's really great to have you in the building. It was really a great run. What is the first thing he does with the new guy, Cam Newton? He makes him team captain. Man, Cam's just a privilege to be around. Wow, I never heard that with Brady in 20 years there. Cam just gives you great energy. Teammates just gravitate to him. It's really fun coaching Cam. Well, who's that guy? Okay, right? Those are shots at Brady. Well, here, watch this. Here's Brady. I'm having a lot of fun in Tampa. Maybe the Patriot way isn't the only way. Shot at Belichick? Absolutely. So these do these guys throw like little subtle cannonballs across the bow? Yeah. Everybody's competitive. Everybody's got an ego. As long as it doesn't get like Baker Mayfield going over and staring down a coach like Hugh Jackson. When Hugh gets fired and he's on the other sideline, that's stupid stuff. But these little subtle shots across the bow, they're all right. As long as it doesn't get too obnoxious. Brady and Belichick don't need to get obnoxious. It's fun watching it, okay? Sean McVay, the head coach of the Rams, is now doing this. This is incredible. Unbelievable. This is incredible. It's really... um, incredible on what we have here with with Matthew Stafford. And by the way, you know, no 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 shot at Jared Goff. That's Sean McVay coming out and making sure that everyone out there is doing this, you know. Okay, so it must be a shot at Jared Goff. Because if you don't want to if you don't want to draw attention to something, you don't bring it up. That's not something you do, okay? If there's a flaw in the guy's character, the first thing you do in a press conference is you don't address it. You let somebody else address it. Okay? Yeah, hey, you know, man, I got thrown out of this and got done this. And that's not how you start a press conference. Okay? You don't start a press conference out by saying, hey, I don't know. This is no, this is no shade on Jared Goff here. Okay? But the guy I got now. Coaches can't help themselves. Hey, players can't either. Okay, it's a big ego game, the NFL, big ego game. And these guys are all going to be doing this. You know, I mean, McVay is in love with what he has now because you know why? He actually has a quarterback now that's going to be consistent. And if you could put a running game around Matthew Stafford, in my opinion, I think the Rams have improved themselves dramatically. Still yet to beat it. And you know what? You know what's crazy, too? Watch this. Who do you think has got a better postseason resume? Jared Goff or Matthew Stafford? Obviously. Jared Goff's got a better resume. And when I say this, doesn't it sound weird? Matthew Stafford, man, is going to improve the Rams. Jared Goff is also going to improve the Lions because he's going to be one of the only people in the building that have actually won. And when you have a guy that has actually won, People start gravitating to that. And get this, there's going to be more latitude for him to be able to be in that building and 
they're going to lean. Like Dan Campbell, the new head football coach of the Lions, he's going to be able to lean more on him on the things that he learned on being able to handle a huddle, a team, being the face of a team. Jared Goff has gone through some really good schooling. That's the ups and the downs of being the number one overall selection. And so when he takes that with him to Detroit, you know what's funny? Everyone's assuming that the the Rams are going to have the better end of this. Who's to say who's to say here that we're not going to see Jared Goff go up there and if the coaching is good around him and I would even say this, if the personnel is good around him that he's not going to have a massive impact on that football team in Detroit. I think it's going to Look, when you look at a certain places this coming 2021 NFL season, you're going to look at Wentz in Indy. You're going to look at Hertz in Philly. And you're also going to look at what's going on in Detroit with Jared Goff and what's going on in Los Angeles, what's going on with Matthew Stafford. I am a massive Matthew Stafford fan. You know, I was a fan of his when I watched him play against Tebow and that Georgia-Florida game. It's one of the most impressive games if you've never been to a Florida-Georgia game. And again, for me, you know, having played in really big-time rivalry college football games, I had a spectacular time every single time that I went to those Florida-Georgia games. And they were very competitive. And for the majority of the time, it was Tebow versus Matthew Stafford. And Tebow used to always get the upper hand of him, the upper hand of him, okay, when his teams were just a little bit more talented and they were just a little bit better coached. I love uh, Mark Rick, and I really love Coach. He's a former Miami Hurricane, and he did wonderful things at Georgia. But Urban Meyer had that machine going in Gainesville when he was the head football coach there. Make no mistake about it. It was it was something to watch there, too. But get back to Matthew Stafford and to what Sean McVay's doing. I, I personally, I think you're going to see both places benefit from both guys being moved. Sometimes, you know, the carpet on the other side or the welcome mat on the other side, Sometimes it is greener for some of these guys when they go to a new place. Look what it did for Ryan Tannehill. Think of that for a minute. Now, that's going to become the new norm now where you're doing this, okay, because he didn't work out in one place. Is that coaching? Is it the personnel? Is it the player? Is it all of that? So when you're seeing maybe, see, back in the day when a quarterback failed, do you know what ended up happening? You ended up cutting that guy, and you just assumed because the organization did not put the proper tools around him, you just assumed that he was not going to be able to succeed there. Now what you're doing is when you're watching somebody like Adam Gase who could not run a football team, in my opinion, how we and how we saw him get another job after the whole debacle that went on in Miami, and then he ended up getting another opportunity with the Jets, and the only reason he got that opportunity, and the only reason I think he really got both those opportunities was because of Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning put his uh, seal of approval on it, and I think that's the only reason that he ended up getting those uh, two opportunities to become a head football coach. He's a good position coach. It happens. But I think that you get an opportunity now to be able to do this. If a guy doesn't really – I mean, look at what we're going to see here with Sam Darnold in Carolina. Okay, so, all right. This 12-team college football playoff 
as all of you know, you know, college football is easily my favorite sport. I love the NFL. I really do. I love the NFL, but there's just something about the college game, the pageantry of it. Hey, and you know what? You know what's crazy? I like the bowl games. You know, I, I like the whole that you have, like the college pride. And, you know, if you ask most NFL guys, most NFL guys will always do this. They'll always be more pro their college team than their pro team because their college uh, colors mean a lot to them. And so, you know, there's nothing like college football. And college football's business has just grown so over the top that I don't even think the NCAA or anybody else has a handle on how big this is. There is such an appetite now for football. I mean, not, we're talking about spring leagues. You know, we're talking USFL. We're talking XFL. You know, now look what we're even doing. We're airing like spring games. You know, when you go to an Alabama spring game, you could have 95,000 fans there at their home stadium for the spring game. I know the University of Florida had 65,000 fans, okay, at their spring game. 65,000 fans. I mean, there's some NFL teams today that you could not put that down and you could have 65,000 fans on any given Sunday. But some of these colleges with their fan bases like LSU and many of those teams in the southeastern part of the country, enormous. Big Ten too, man. Look at all. There's a reason why you have 75 to 85,000 seat stadiums in the Big Ten. It's because of the fan bases. And college football has just grown so much. And now it's going to be proposed here in the mid part of this month that they're going to go to a 12-team playoff. Um, how does that benefit? Does that benefit everyone in the college game? Does that benefit some of the scenarios for some of these power conferences? Only guy I can think of is my dear friend and the guy who – is in charge, and he's the executive director of the College Football Bowl uh, playoff system. He is our friend Bill Hancock, and he joins us now here on the National Football Show. Here we go again, Bill. We're getting ready for another football season. Dan, my goodness, it's good to see you. I uh, hope you're doing well. We're having a nice thunderstorm here. So if we get a tornado, I'll point my phone at the tornado, and you can have live <laughs> coverage. We might make the top. We might make the top ten videos if we get a tornado. <laughs> well, you may have a tornado coming on mid June here with all this talk, uh, Bill, going on with um, the college football playoffs expanding to twelve teams. Um, let me get your thoughts right out of the top here. Before I do that, though, isn't it going to be great? Now I'm going to put my hand up and just pray to God here that it still runs the way it's going to run. How great is it going to be to see all the fans back in the stands again? Oh, my goodness. It would be awesome. And I've been watching the NCAA baseball, and they've had some wonderful crowds. Arkansas, Mississippi, Mississippi State, just fantastic. And people having fun, supporting their teams. It, it will be even more awesome this fall. Bill, tell me how we have got to this point where the committee and yourself and other people are now thinking that expansion is needed for the college football playoff. I mean, I know they're going to talk about it and vote on it. I think it's the 17th and 18th, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere in there in June. How have we got to this conversation today? We took a 
small first step of a long process this week. Um, the next meeting is next week of the conference commissioners where they will really roll up their sleeves and I expect them to have a robust discussion of the, the proposal. This, you know, this proposal was for people uh, making a recommendation. Um, but then after the, if the commissioners next week like what they see, they can submit a, their proposal to the university presidents, our board, who meet June 22nd. And if the board thinks it's worth pursuing, then they will probably uh, authorize more research. And we'll enter the, what I call the, can this really be done phase, which will go until, at least until September. So we just took the, the first small step in, in, a, in a, frankly, in a long process. Bill, will this process, as we get closer to September then, will this affect this college football season coming up to 2021 and then the uh, Final Four um, going into 2022? Or will we be looking at maybe something in 2023? It, it won't affect anything this year, and I don't see anything happening next year. I think the first time this could uh, happen, if everybody supports it, as I just described, would be 23. And, and nothing may happen. And, and we may continue with four. And, and frankly, the four-team event has been terrific. Uh, I know people want something different and want more, but four, four's, been, four's been great. So um, we'll just have to see how it plays out. Bill, what do, you, what, do you, what do you hear of the criticism that people have that four is just too – it's too inclusive to the Power Five conferences and it doesn't really open up for everybody else to have a shot at a national championship? What says you on that? Well, I disagree with that. Play a good schedule win your games and you're going to be in the hunt. Um, that's, that's it. That's the bottom line. So if, as we go forward here, Bill, if we're going to have, and we're just having a discussion that potentially we can get to a 12 team playoff, are we going to then be putting more parameters and more emphasis and more metrics on one part? Cause you just mentioned something to me and I mentioned this just a couple minutes ago, just because you're 12 and zero, and say, and, and I'm just using an example, say you're Hawaii. And you're 12 and 0, and there's a team in the SEC or the Big Ten that's nine and three. That doesn't tell me whether or not you're a better team than that 12 and 0 team, because if that schedule has got Alabama and LSU and Texas A&M on it, and you got Little Sisters of the Poor on it, and you got a bunch of tomato cans on it, and then one opponent that's a top 25 opponent, I'm not voting for you if you're the 12 and 0 team to go to the national championship. Are we going to be looking at more strength of schedule as the metric on how we're going to look at these 12 teams? Well, wait a minute, Dan. Tomato Can University had a good recruiting year. So, <laughs> well, I, hey, maybe they get into the mix this year then. <laughs> <laughs> the, the one beauty of the recommendation is the balance between the conference champions and at-large teams. So the six highest-ranked conference champions will be in the field, but there will be six spots that will go to the six next best teams. So you will have to play a good schedule um, if you want to be considered an at-large team. That part, that part of the committee's deliberation will not change. September will continue to be really important in, in this new, new uh, uh, proposal. Obviously, no, November is important because of the conference championship games and how people finish up. But, man, don't forget, you better go play a good schedule if you want to, have a, if you, if, to, to double your chances. Yeah, you have a chance if you win your conference championship. But if you haven't played a good schedule, you, you, you may have a hard time getting that at, uh, at large berth 
if you don't have the safety net of your conference championship. You know, Bill, one of the things that was a silver lining in the entire COVID experience watching these programs play football was that they played a lot of conference schedules and they didn't have the outliers and no disrespect because I know those schools rely on that money like Citadels and some of these other smaller programs. It, to me, I think we'd be more rolling towards that to have more conference schedule games, which would mean to better product when you see it on the television set, when you build, because again, Alabama playing Citadel, I get why they play them. I mean, you play Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M, and you play those schedules in a row, or if you're Michigan, Michigan State, so on, you get those teams in a row, you want a little breather inside before you go into your rivalry game. So I, I, I get that. But do you think COVID now kind of maybe saw something there where we said, let's play more conference games um, instead of being an outlier, let's play more what we are and who we are because that balances the schedule a little more when you're determining who the teams are that are going to play for the national title. You know, Dan, from our perspective, I, I hear you and I totally understand all that. It all makes sense. But from our perspective at CFP, the conferences set the schedules and, and the committee just works through the, the games that they've been given. So that, that's, that's where we are on scheduling. But however, I do want to say you, you, you're seeing during this offseason, we saw more of those pretty cool intersectional games. One got announced just yesterday. Who was it? Alabama and Oklahoma State. Uh, you know, another great matchup. Home and home. Really cool. How about this, too? You know, one of the problems – I see the biggest problem in college football right now is this. You know, people keep throwing the portal at me, and I don't think it is the portal. I think it's this, Bill. Now that you have um, the opportunity and some of these top-flight guys who are going to be first-rounders and them wanting to play in bowl games and them not, in, not wanting to play in bowl games, I think when you have a 12-team playoff, don't you think that you're going to have to make it more – how about this? You're going to have to make it more enticing for some of these first-rounders to have to go and want to play in this because, Bill, if I'm a first-round draft choice, me playing and I'm one of the 12 teams, I don't know if that's enough for me to put $40 million guaranteed on the line for me to go ahead and say, if I get hurt in a bowl game for my school, how do – because I know they're talking about it on the Hill right now about compensation for the players – if we get into this, some of these teams are going to play 17 games in a season if they if we go down this line of this 12-team playoff. Do, does the committee and does the NCAA and do yourself start to see now that maybe compensation for some of these college kids to want to play in the game, to want to play in the bowl games? Because a lot of kids are bowing out. How do you look at this whole thing? Oh, I'm watching. I'm just watching. And, and I always manage the event that I'm responsible for. And I just think uh, we're just going to have to see how all that comes out. Think things will be different, but uh, we'll still be college sports, and uh, we'll have to we'll have to just live in the new world. <laughs> hey, Bill, you must have been a senator somewhere because that was a really good politician's <laughs> answer. <laughs> well, you just you just you, you just you know what falls in your purview, and, and you be, become familiar with that, and, and the rest of it, you know, you watch and see what happens. But That's Bill, all you can free, do. But but just for yourself, though, you're uncomfortable talking about paying college athletes, right? Yeah, yeah, we all are. It's, this is not this is not pay for play. There there are places to go if you want pay for play. This is not this is higher education. If we ever lose that, we're toast. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate it. I can't wait to see how this thing plays out this month. Thank you for always finding time for me, my friend.
Great, Dan. Great to see you and congratulations on the gig. I look forward to following you and you know, as you know, and I'll be, I'll be happy to jump on anytime. You got it. Thank you so much, Bill. I appreciate it. The executive director of the college football playoff. We'll take a brief time out. We'll hit on that a little bit as we come back to the national football show. I get scared sometimes of a lot of things. Joining in decisions, the dark, the dark. But I once heard someone say, but as I always say, it's okay to be afraid as long as you face the fear and keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Welcome back to the National Football Show with your boy Dan Cilio. Interesting stuff from... Our friend Bill Hancock, the executive director of the college football playoff. He's obviously not a fan of paying kids. See, what I don't get is that, you know, how can you generate a 17-game schedule? How could you make $70 billion a year 
and feel comfortable not paying? You see, there's certain guys that are going to answer that question and there's certain guys that aren't going to answer that question. And Bill Hancock felt uncomfortable answering, answering if the kid should be paid. Well, I'll answer it because this is one of the reasons that I got involved in sports talk radio and in sports broadcasting was because I am one of those guys that have been hitting that drum since the first day I ever hit the air was that college kids need to be compensated for what their actions are on the field because you generate so much money for your institutions and for your conferences. And now that the money is where it is, and now that we're talking, and for the record, folks, I love Bill to death, but don't you don't ever think in your wildest imagination here that there is not, not going to be a college football playoff that's going to have 12 teams. This is rolling towards that. Because here's what's happening. There's a lot of pending lawsuits that are out there that are being waged by the Big 12, the Mountain West, uh, Conference USA, and the off-conferences that it's biased the college football playoff. And it only curtails to the big power conferences. That's why people are meeting right now in Washington, D.C. on how they're going to figure out this new nil law that places like the Pac-12, and if you play at Southern Cal or you play at Oregon, think of this for a second. What's going to happen is, and get this, the NCAA and government's not going to figure this out in the next 30 days. If you play at Oregon and you get an opportunity to get a scholarship at Oregon and play for my friend Mario Cristobal, who we had on this program, Nike now backs that. You don't think Phil Knight is going to be throwing all kinds of potential jobs at some of these recruits coming into Oregon. Get this, those kids that are going to get a chance to play college basketball and college football at some of these institutions with gigantic boosters. Hey, this is the best thing ever happened to Texas and Texas A&M. They've got some of the biggest money guys in the history of college football. Do you know Texas A&M, do you know how much money they generate a year in college football? $195 million. That's like the 33rd NFL team and how much money that they make. When you go to Kyle Field, there's a, there's a hotel that's right across the street from the stadium from Kyle Field. There's a hotel. I think it's a Marriott or something. Do you know what the uh, sports department and the athletic department do to the boosters? If you want to go to Kyle Field and you want to sit in one of the luxury boxes, you spend $15,000 a night at some of the premier places in that hotel, and that goes directly to the football program. That's what we're talking about here. Now that you're going to be able to pay these kids because you're not going to be able to stop this, it is going to be a free-for-all for some of these institutions that got bit. And, and you know what? This is going to sound awful for me. You're going to weed out some of these programs in the country we don't need. Do you, how many places, think about this for a second. How many places in America have a great college basketball program and a great college football program all in the same time? Let's think about that for a minute. Does Kentucky? Kentucky football is pretty decent. Basketball program was down this year. Actually, the football program was probably better. But traditionally, it's Kentucky basketball. Stanford, 
probably they're pretty decent, but I wouldn't say Stanford's a powerhouse. Gators, Gators got a pretty good football program. And they've got a pretty decent basketball program. Hey, Alabama's basketball program is starting to make noise. But it, you have to have gigantic revenue sources is where I'm going with this. There's very few programs. Why do you think Gonzaga basketball is so like a power five college basketball program? They don't have a football program there. Why do you think back in the day the Big East worked when you had teams like Georgetown and St. John's that were able to compete in that conference? They didn't have football. They put all their resources into their college basketball program. I've always thought that. Hey, you've got to figure out who you are. Like, here, let me give you. I, I covered this program, and it's a smaller it's a smaller program. But I covered uh, San Diego State. San Diego State's a basketball. That's where, Ka- that's where Kawhi Leonard played. Marshall Falk did play there. But they can't draw flies for their college football program. And it's been pretty successful. But you know what you get? You get 15,000 fans, 16,000 fans. Okay? You, you just you, – you just, you know what you get at Viejas Arena where they play their college basketball? They get 20,000 fans in there all the time. They should can that football program. They're trying to build a stadium now. They couldn't keep the Chargers in San Diego. Some of these places and some of these schools are kidding themselves. Well, we're going to have a college football program and we're going to have a college basketball program. You know, one of the, I'll tell you something. I've said this before about the University of Miami. You know, it's funny. Krause was telling me, oh, you live in the past 20 years. You know what? I'll tell you something that we had back in the day that people don't plug in. Do you know when I played college football at the University of Miami, we didn't have a basketball program. They had stopped the program. And like in 85, or I think it was 1985, they ended up, um, they ended up starting up the program again. So when I first got down to Miami, University of Miami didn't have a basketball program. We had a baseball program and we had a uh, college football program. Those were the two gigantic programs we had. And Ron Frazier, who was the bas- was the baseball coach, I think he won four national championships because all the resources went into baseball and football. Take a look at it now. Look what basketball has done to the football program. I've said this and I say it. You take the resources away from some of the football program when you're trying to build a basketball program, what else did we do? We went into a basketball conference, the ACC. To me, that crippled Miami football. When you think of the ACC, do you think of college football? When you're in the South, don't you do – If I how about this? This may sound crazy when I say this to you because I'm a cane for life. But if you're a kid today and you're a high school recruit, and you're in the southeastern part of the United States, and you're getting recruited by the SEC or the ACC, who are you going to look at first? Would you rather play at Mississippi State or Ole Miss, or would you rather play at Wake Forest and NC State? Come on, man. That's not a conversation. Hey, if I'm lucky enough to get into Vanderbilt, do I want to play at Vanderbilt or do I want to play at Duke? I'm talking football. I don't want to play at Duke football. I want to play at Vanderbilt. At least it's in the SEC, and I'm going to Alabama and LSU. Might get seen playing when I'm on TV all the time because the SEC is always on TV. It's all about the – so it's not going to be like that. Yeah, I think Miami got 
destroyed going into that ACC. They dominated the Big East. When we were independent, we were even bigger. All right. Let me get into this Julio Jones story here. I love what I heard from the player today. This is like minicamp, and I think he's wearing number two now. Is that right? Instead of his um, number 11 that he wore. I think he wore 11 also. Didn't he wear 11 at Bama? He's wearing two now with Tennessee. And I, I love what I heard from him. He's like, hey, man, how's it like working with, you know, with Ryan Tannehill? He's like, well, if we're on the same page, we're going to win a lot of ball games. You see, I'm a team guy. What does that mean, on the same page? That mean you got to get your touches? You see, you got to remember something about Julio Jones, and I've heard nothing but phenomenal things from him. He's built a Hall of Fame resume. He did it in Atlanta. I was talking, Krause loves anybody from Bama, but he's right on this kid. This kid has put a Hall of Fame resume on the table. Could he get in right now? He ain't a first ballot. That's a slam dunk he's not. Okay? That guy's not a slam, slam dunk first ballot. Is he a second? Who's on the uh, ballot, like you heard Jason Cole say. By the way, I'll ask Howard Balzer that question. Okay? Does does Julio Jones need a – does he need a Super Bowl ring to become a first ballot? Because he's put a resume together. And when he says he's a team guy, he needs one thing. You know what the cherry is? It's the Super Bowl ring. It's the Super Bowl ring. My friend is a Hall of Fame voter, and he works for Sports Illustrated. By the way, Kyler Murray's making some noise. Let's go to our friend Howard Balzer, and he joins us now here on the National Football Show. How you doing, Howard? I hope you can hear me today. Hey, we got you there, brother. All How right. you doing, man? All right. Hey, let me throw this at you, Howard. I just threw this out there. You know, I heard Julio Jones saying in Tennessee now that he's going like this, saying, hey, look, I'm a team guy. And if you look at his resume, he's putting Hall of Fame numbers up and he's putting a Hall of Fame career together. Does he need the Super Bowl to be considered a first ballot Hall of Famer? It's a great. I don't think so. I, I think that sometimes we look at Super Bowls and championships way too much in what is the ultimate team sport. I mean, I don't know that anybody could debate that. To me, winning is a team thing. And I mean, heck, Calvin Johnson, first ballot Hall of Famer this year with a shortened career and not only not a Super Bowl, but very, very few playoff appearances during his career there. So I don't believe that he or any receiver for that matter. Now, granted, it gets talked about with quarterbacks, maybe more than other positions, but I think that's even unfair. I mean, what the heck, Peyton Manning? had one Super Bowl in his entire Colts career. And then when they won in Denver, he wasn't really that big a part of it that season. Drew Brees, one Super Bowl victory. Like I said, th those are team, to me, team achievements, and it shouldn't take away from a player's individual accomplishments. Let me let me get to your thoughts here on his impact going into Tennessee here because I had Mike Lombardi on in the first – Hour and he said, Look, man, he's a little concerned about their defense, but yep. boy, I'll tell you on that offensive side of the football, Howard, 
I mean, these two horses that you have on the perimeter, the Ys and Zs, and now you got that moving refrigerator in the backfield there, yeah. Derek Henry. Plus, you know, they got a right tackle that maybe needs to prove himself a little bit. How do you see this Titans team with the addition of Julio Jones? I would think they should be very dangerous. And let's remember, even with, and I agree with Mike, yes, there are questions on that defense, but they still won 11 games yeah. last year. And so it's not like they were a bad football team by any matter. And I think that by adding Julio Jones to this equation, and remember, we have a 16, you know, I was looking at this the other day, Derek, Derek Henry averaged just about 25 touches a game last year. And I don't know how long you can sustain that. Unless you remember, there's an extra regular season game this season too. So I would think what the Titans might be wanting to do is throw it a little bit more, maybe take some of the pressure off Derrick Henry and not give him the ball as much. And so I think now, granted, you know, they had a pretty good receiver there in Corey Davis. He's gone to the Jets. Uh, Julio Jones is a much more accomplished receiver than him. The key to me is that Julio Jones obviously has to stay healthy which he didn't do last year. But you put him in that offense, and that should be a very, very uh, dangerous team in a division, let's be honest, that overall isn't that good. Well, brilliant minds think alike. That's exactly what Mike Lombardi said, too, in the first hour that – I mean, how many times are you going to keep giving that guy the ball where you're starting to see some of the tires start to wear down a little bit, too? That'll be a concern. So you also have the luxury of being around the Arizona Cardinals. What's this conversation starting up now with <laughs> Kyler Murray? Uh, maybe wanting to dabble in baseball? Or are we looking at a little Deion Sanders stuff here? Is he really looking at maybe playing some ball? I First, it really hasn't just started up because every now and then over the last year or so, it would sneak into an interview it wasn't noticed as much because it was outside Arizona or whatever, for whatever reason. Uh, but then yesterday he does, uh, you know, a little gathering with the local reporters and he wasn't even asked about baseball because he was on the cover of this new sports illustrated, the, the latest edition of sports illustrated with esports and, and all that. He was on the cover with his team that he plays with. And so someone asked him, do you consider yourself a two sport guy now? And he said, well, no, it's now it's three sports. And then, and then he opened it up. but And then by the end of it, he said, well, I, I think it's one of those fantasies in the back of his mind that he would love to know if he could actually be successful at Major League Baseball. And then at the end of it, he says, I know here they don't like when I talk about it, um, the front office and, and, and the team. But he says, but I'm just talking. That's what he said. I'm just talking. I, I don't know that he really is serious about it. And I think that if he continues ascending – as a quarterback, you know, let's remember after this season, uh, next year at this time, the Cardinals will be making a decision to give him his fifth year option in his contract. And he's going to be looking at a contract. If he continues improving and playing well, that's going to be right up there with the best quarterbacks in the sport. And there's no way the Cardinals are going to pay that money if they think that he's going to play baseball or dabble in it or whatever. So I, I just don't think it's realistic. I think he likes talking about it and you know, last summer, one of the local media guys spoke to his agent, Scott Boris, and he said with Kyler, he, he, described, his, he described it as an unscratchable itch. <laughs> <laughs> wow, so he still kept the baseball agent, not the football agent, huh, Scott yeah. Boris? Yeah, and, and so, but like I, said, I, I, like I said, I think it's just one of those things that it's in the back of his mind, but I think realistically, 
he knows that football is the sport. Now, if, if all the things things start don't working out on the field, and maybe there's Quentin, who knows? Maybe maybe something could happen. But as long as he's a a top level quarterback in the NFL, there's I don't think there's any realistic way where you could play both sports. Howard, where do you see the Cardinals fitting into the NFC West? I'll tell you, it, that that's the biggest problem, really. I mean, everyone's. I, I wrote something this week on a website that. Everyone's talking about J.J. Watt and all this improvement and how good this team's going to be. And I went back and looked at what the AFC South, which we just referenced a bit with the Titans, what the AFC South did over the last decade with J.J. Watt there and what the NFC West did. And it's like far end of the opposite spectrum (laughs) in terms of those divisions. So the Cardinals, and they were an improved team last year, and they ended up 8-8, and and they still finished third because the 49ers were strafed with injuries. But – they could be an improved team, but it not show up in a postseason berth or something like that because the division is so difficult. Everyone expects the 49ers to bounce back. You know the Rams are going to be pretty good, the Seahawks. So it's just a brutal, brutal division. And the added division schedule for all the teams this year is, is you know is pretty tough too uh, because everybody, that 17th game, each team is playing a team from the AFC North which might be close to the NFC West top to bottom if Cincinnati improves as one of the better divisions. So all these teams have tough schedules, but that balances out pretty much in terms of what, what's going to happen. So you, you got to win at least four of your division games, I would think, if you're going to be a playoff team. And that's, that's something that's going to be difficult for them, no matter how improved they are as a team. Do you believe when you hear Russell Wilson say that he <laughs> did not demand a trade at all in any way, didn't have any conversation? I'll tell you what he didn't do. When all of that stuff was sparked up, he didn't shoot it down right then. He's shooting right. it down now in camp when he's around his guys. Exactly. How do you read that story? I, I, I think they're, he, he said it was blown out of proportion a little bit and probably maybe a little bit that was the case. I don't know that he went in there. I don't think he went. I don't believe he went in there and said, get me out of here. I'm demanding a trade. I don't think that happened. But there were. I'm sure there were some conversations about things that he wanted to see to continue to be really comfortable uh, with, you know, with the team and the offense and all those things. They made a change of coordinator, and and so. But you know, I, I thought so much, Dan, that last year things started going bad for them when they when Chris Carson got hurt, and they stopped being able to run the ball consistently and that truly if you really go back to it well, as good as Russell Wilson is and don't get me wrong he he's he's excellent but when they were really good really good and going to the Super Bowl they had Marshawn Lynch and once he retired then they were just good they weren't elite anymore so they they need that running game to balance with the passing game and I think that's what he would like to see uh, with that team and and so and and even Chris Carson came out with it when when Chris Carson resigned he 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 came out and said that he had conversations with with Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson was was would told him, "I hope you resign to be here." So <laughs> I, I think he always believed that he was probably still going to be in Seattle, even though there probably was some you know things that he wanted to see improve on on the offense on the team. You know why I love having you on is because you know the particulars when it comes to the collective bargaining agreement, and then when you hear the sports talk head talking about guys being moved. And here's what's going on with the Aaron Rodgers stuff that people just are not talking about. Okay, hey, look, the new CBA dictates if you are in camp and you're holding out in any way, back when I played, Howard, um, those were forgivable by the franchise. Right. You're now 
they're no forgivable. And you're talking about going into your $30,000 paycheck. Now, once you get into that July camp, you're starting to get into that money. Now it's one thing to miss your mini camps, your OTAs. Okay. He's burned about 500 grand worth of that to make a point. I don't think anybody really thought that those will probably be forgiven, but now he'll have to start paying back some of the signing bonus right. that he had if he goes into camp and he's a holdout, how do you see this thing being resolved in the next five weeks or do you, because if, if it doesn't get resolved, he's going to have to start writing green Bay checks. Well, I, I think in terms of writing the checks and all that with the roster bonus that he was paid already and returning signing bonus, that would likely only happen once he didn't play during the season. So not being in camp, that's going to affect that, but you're right about it's a $50,000 a day fine for every day you miss in training camp if you don't report. And you're right, that's not forgivable. Now, having said that, if all of a sudden they come to some kind of agreement and they, whatever it is, and then he reports and there's $300,000 worth of fines, heck, they could always, you know, come up with a little adjustment to his salary or something like that to make up for it. But the key is, how do they get this settled? And, And I have felt all along with this that, I don't, I don't think it even makes sense for Aaron Rodgers himself to go somewhere else now or at the beginning of training camp. And where's he going to go that he feels he can win, that he really has a good chance of being on a winning team? And then you're going there learning a new offense, learning new players, and all those things without any benefit of an offseason. So I think it's probably best – the best way to settle this is to come to some kind of agreement behind the scenes because he believes all along that he wasn't going to be there in 2022 anyway. So come to some kind of agreement that that, that's what's going to happen. And then if he gets moved or something happens, it'll happen at the beginning of next year. And it'll be to a place that really wants him, really wants a quarterback. And he has the time to get in there and get adjusted to the new surroundings. And so, hey, as great as Tom Brady is, we saw that last year with Tampa Bay. They really didn't start playing good football until like week 13 or their 13th game when it really started coming together. And so – that's that's the logical way it seems to me for it to get settled, but <laughs> we all know that logic doesn't always isn't always the way it happens in the National Football League. I brought this up earlier on the show, and I was talking about Dak. I tell you, I've been more impressed with him during this rehabilitation and this contract talk than I was ever before prior to him getting injured. I mean, he's handled himself as a professional. Now he just signed a two hundred million dollar contract with the Jordan brand. You know, he signed a contract that's going to pay him $42 million a year. He's the highest paid NFL guy, along with this Jordan. This guy's going to make $80 million a year. I mean, if I had a young quarterback and I wanted to show a quarterback how you act on the field and off the field, obviously you have to produce or you wouldn't be there and have one of the 32 coveted jobs on the planet being an NFL quarterback. I'm just telling you, he's a perfect face for the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know how you see that, Howard, but boy, if I had a young quarterback, I'd go like this. That's how you be, that's how you become a professional in this league. No no question. I think that's why the Cowboys all along wanted to get him signed. And they they knew they needed to get it done. And I know there'll be some who will say, well, he's not worth that much money, but you're only worth as much money as the team you're on believes you're worth. And and then the other part of it is if you have a guy that is is like you said, a face of the franchise, just works hard at everything he does and all those things, then if you don't have him, what are you going to start over and, and hope that you get lucky again? No, sometimes not luck, but but hope you find a guy again. We see it so often how teams continue to chase quarterbacks and are not successful 
at doing it. So yeah, I, I agree. I think especially playing in Dallas where it's a different type of situation with the pressure and the expectations are there. He can handle that very well. How good the team will be? Well, we'll see about that. They need to be better on defense also. But, man, if he just if he picks up where he left off last year, I mean, the guy was playing lights out uh, offensive football, and and he, he's shown what he's capable of, and, and the, Cow- the Cowboys obviously knew it too, and, and they made sure to get him get the contract done. Howard, there's a there's – a- a lot of conversation going on in Chicago right now. And I, I, I wonder how covering the year over all these years, how you look at OTAs. I tell everybody, look, these guys are in helmets and shorts. Right. I mean, you're going to hear a lot of great coaches talk. Oh, this guy's the best. I love him. Oh, my God. But I'm hearing a lot of great stuff out of Chicago. You think you think Justin Fields is going to be the opening day starter? I mean, you know, where are you really going with Andy Dalton? I mean, if you really right. think about it, if the, if it's close – are you going with Justin Field? Maybe taking some bumps and bruises earlier on for the, you know, for the finish line stuff where you're going, you know, you're going to get better over the next couple of years. How would you handle that? If if it was me, I think being close is the key thing. If you if you feel in your mind as the head coach and all the coaches that he can handle it, and that your team is good enough to be able to have balance in the offense, run the football, not put him into too many difficult second and third and longs, and you feel he can handle it and be able to deal with the adversity that you're going to face no matter when it is you get in there, then to me, you play the guy. You play him. Now, I, you know, there's all the stories that they've, they've quote, promised Andy Dalton that he's the opening day starter, but we, we know how much those promises mean. I, I still think there's a pretty good chance Dalton opens the season as the starter, and, and maybe in some ways that would make sense in terms of just not throwing fields to the, to the wolves immediately. But like I said, to me, if you got the guy and he shows in camp and shows all those things that he is ready, as ready as he's going to be, and you never put in the entire offense for a rookie anyway, you put him out there because every snap he takes, every game he plays, is, is, will get him closer to where you want him to be Eventually, he can sit for a year or two, and then whenever you put him in, you're still going to go through those same growing pains, even though maybe you understand the game a little bit better because you've been in meetings for a couple of years. So to me, you get a guy in there as soon as you can if you truly believe that he's capable of handling it. Two last questions for you here. Um, You think Watson's playing in 2021? I would say it's 50-50 right now. And the the only way it happens is if somehow they come to – some some degree of settlement on all these on all these cases, and really all, all it takes is and that that's all of them. You know, you, you could have twenty you know twenty of these twenty two agree to settle, but if two don't, then that's hanging over the head, and 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 you're going to have all the discovery and all the things that are going on, and they've said a lot of that won't even happen till twenty twenty two anyway. So, I think it's possible if, like I said, if they can settle all all these cases, but. That's not easy when you have that many, you know, people with hands in the pie, so to speak, or hands in the pot, I should say. So I, I would say there's still a chance, but at best, I think it's 50-50 odds. Have you been shocked that the NFL and the commissioner have been so quiet on this? I mean, it's like almost they don't want to hurt the kid's market value or his reputation, but in the other hand, they don't want to come off as being like not caring about potential victims. I mean. Right. This yeah, is the first a, time I've ever seen them, you know, have a stand back mentality instead of getting, they got out in front of Ray Rice. They got out in front of Kareem Hunt. 
They jumped out in front. Now there was video for them. They had to probably because there's video of this here. And maybe that's probably why they haven't got out in front because there's no visual to this thing here. I'm just, it just seems weird why, you know, we're not hearing anything even from Rusty Harden, the attorney for Deshaun Watson. We're not hearing this Tony Busby anymore. Yeah, leads me been, to believe that they're settling things behind the scenes. That that's that's what I, I believe too. Or if they're settling it, they're trying to. And the best way to get a settlement is to not talk about it publicly and not be throwing darts at each side. So you have to believe there's those conversations going on from the NFL level. They're waiting to see what happens with all this. I, I do believe that if there is some kind of settlement, and even if and probably the settlement, there won't be much talking about. What the, obviously what the settlement was or what was it, quote, admitted to or not admitted to, I would still think there's going to be some kind of suspension uh, just because of the looks of this. And I don't think the NFL can totally turn its head. But if it's all settled, then it might not be that bad. Of a, you know, it could be four games. It could be maybe, you know, it could be like the Ben Roethlisberger uh, situation from some time back when I think it, I think originally the suspension was six games with the possibility of it, of it being reduced to four, and that's what ended up happening. So I think that there's a chance that that could be the case. But like I said, I think the NFL is – I don't know. You, you would think they've done some manner of investigating behind the scenes, but when there's – again, when there's so many people involved, they, don't, they just don't want to muddy the waters, I don't think, until they see what happens between Watson and uh, all these people making these claims. Okay, I have to end this with a Hall of Fame – uh, name and as I always do, where is the holdup here for Ed White, the former Minnesota Viking and the <laughs> former Charger? I mean, he's been to four Super Bowls. He's on the All-Decade team. He is a guy that's on the ring. He's like in the Hall of Fame for the Minnesota Vikings and the Chargers. When you look at his resume, he's one of the greatest um, offensive linemen to ever play. Um, what? Why not him? Is it because the Chargers didn't push him? It's a great question, and I think there's a lot of guys, unfortunately, that fall through the cracks. And I think there was a period of time where a lot of offensive linemen, especially guards, uh, were not uh, being elected. And then the, the more time goes on and you have more players coming into the process that have been seen and are more fresh in everyone's mind, uh, some of those guys from, uh, from before, before that just aren't front and center in all in the discussions and the consideration. And so I'm sure along with Ed White, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of people from different, different cities that can mention this guy and that guy. Why didn't Dennis he Dennis Hera, Dennis Hera with the Rams. I mean, yeah, he, had, lot, he had seven pro bowls. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of guys that wait and wait and wait. And so, and, and some of these, these are guys, as you know, Dan, that were never even finalists, right. uh, much less be elected to the hall of fame. They never even got that far. And so it's just tough. It's a, it's a very tough process. It's a difficult one. There's so many players on so many teams at different positions that nothing's perfect. There's no, there's no doubt about that. You and know, I, Mark Gastineau's never even been considered for the hall of fame. And I look at his resume well, and he, I look well, he, at J and I look at JJ Watt and I go like this, you think JJ Watt was really better than Mark in an era where they only threw the ball 25 times a game. Well, you know and what? He was the original sack dance guy. I mean, he doesn't get credit for that. I know a lot of people hated him, and I know a lot of media members hated him. But, I mean, Mark was really ahead of his time. Well, not only that, but then you take this into account. 
and you know he's been thought of, he's been talked about. I don't know if he's how serious it's ever gotten, but there are many in New York and others who, who say that his teammate Joe Klecko is as deserving or maybe even more deserving as him, and he hasn't uh, gotten a whole lot of traction in it, even though there have been discussions. So again, I think that just points, Dan, to how hard it is to get to the point where you're a Hall of Famer, and every year you get further into it, and you have another whole group of first-time eligibles that, that that enter the process, and it just gets harder and harder and harder every year. Man, you guys have a very tough task to go through this, man. I mean, Mark sent me that. Every single one of the guys over here from the New York Sack Exchange, Gastineau, mm-hmm. Abdul Salam, Joe Klecko, and um, Gastineau himself all signed that uh, New York Sack Exchange thing That's for cool. me. Yeah, and I'm friends with him. Howard, it is always great catching up with you, my friend. Thank you so much. We'll clearly do this again. Anytime, Dan. Take care. You got it. That is my friend Howard Balzer, NFL Hall of Fame voter. We'll take a brief timeout. You keep it right here on the National Football Show. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. 
There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Welcome back to the National Football Show. What a week. Big week here on the show, as they always are. As they always are. I thought it was interesting when he was talking about Kyler Murray. you got to remember something. The quarterback for the Cardinals, remember what he got when he first came out of Oklahoma? Do you guys remember, right? The Oakland Athletics drafted him in the first. He's the only NFL player with this distinction. Being drafted in the first round of baseball and being drafted in the first round of football. And so he was given a $3.5 million signing bonus by the Oakland Athletics. When he came out of OU, he had $3.5 bucks in his pocket and a career lined up for him to go play baseball. That's how great this kid is. And so he decided to do this. Now it's a different NFL. By the way, I'm wrong on him so far. I thought he was too small, but it's a different NFL. You're not being pounded in that position. I think everything that went on with Cam Newton, I think how the officials officiated Cam Newton, I think what they're doing now with a lot of these mobile quarterbacks, they're being more protective. Hey, man, Cam Newton was a stunt dummy for many of these NFL referees. How many times did we see Cam get the hell beat out of him running up the sidelines? Tom Brady runs up the sidelines. You're not touching that guy. Cam runs up the sidelines. How many times do you see Cam Newton get depleted? And then the referees turn around and go, well, he's a running back. Yeah, well, so is Tom Brady. When Tom Brady leaves the pocket, he's a runner. But you don't treat him the same way as you did Cam. I think the NFL and the officiating crews now – I think they're legislating more penalties when these quarterbacks are taken off because they know they're the asset of the league. Nobody wants to see a Super Bowl with backup quarterbacks. Okay? I mean, can you imagine? You have back, you have Nick Foles versus Case Keenum. And these are legendary backup guys. No one wants to see that game. Okay? You want to see frontline name guys at that position because there's they're the most recognizable faces that are in the NFL are the quarterback. You don't know who the D-line guys are. You don't know who the O-line guys. You barely know who the running backs are. So you don't want to see any of that. And so Kyler Murray, he had to do this. You know, he gave that $3.5 million back to the A's. Now, look, you get a $17 million signing bonus because you're a first-round draft choice by the Cardinals. That's not that hard a choice. Oh, here's three to get 17. I'm in. Okay. But sure, man, when you're a first-round draft choice, how would you not have that itch? And you know what I would also say? If you're the Cardinals, wouldn't you want to have that on your guy so my guy gets a chance to play for the Diamondbacks and he's an all-star for the Diamondbacks and he also turns around and he plays quarterback for the Cardinals? How boss would that be? Think of this for a second. Who is the most interesting baseball dude in the game today? Don't give me – Dummy Bryce Harper or with the gold shoes. Or don't give me Manny Machado with the uh, turnover chain that he stole from the Canes. None of those guys. Nolan Arenado now in St. Louis. You think those guys are the face of base? Mike Trout, I don't even know where he is. He's still in uh, Los Angeles with the Angels? Wow. Talk about a wasted career. 
That guy can't hit his body weight in the postseason. Okay? Can't it, nobody cares. Okay? The most interesting dude in baseball today is Shohei Otani from the Angels. This guy might be the first guy since Babe Ruth to win 10-plus games and hit 35 home runs. Who, who, who in the hell has ever seen anything like that? So wait a minute. Shohei Otani, the pitcher for the Angels, I guess, or the DH for the Angels, whatever you want to designate him as, you're telling me that guy throws a BB 97 miles an hour and can uh, hump it up near 100 miles an hour and he can hit 35 home runs? You see them upper deck shots? That guy has my interest. That's an interesting dude. That sells tickets. When you're the Cardinals, man, you're doing this. Wow, man. Here's a superstar two-way player. Hey, man, what do you think what made Bo, Bo, Bo Jackson? As some of you young guys don't know, you know, be like Bo, okay? It wasn't be like Mike at first, okay? Bo knows, okay? Bo don't know hockey, though. Bo don't know hockey. Bo knows everything else, though. That was the Nike promotion. Gretzky came on and goes, Bo don't know hockey. Sorry. No. He don't know hockey. It was a great promotion. I think you could do marvelous things. In the NFL and Major League Baseball, would be a great kick in the rear end for Major League Baseball especially. The NFL doesn't need it, but that'd be pretty cool to see Kyler Murray playing two sports. I'd love to see something like that. Hey, man, another powerhouse week. We really appreciate everybody that checks us out. Do me a favor. Please like the show, share the show. You can catch out all of our interviews and all of our shows over on the Jacob Media Channel and the National Football Show channel. Again, we appreciate everybody. Krause, awesome. Cal, thank you. Big Joe, we are all good. We will catch you on Monday going 4 to 6 Eastern time. We shall see you on the flip side.